You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and... What the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at Rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. And we're gonna change it up a little bit here. You know, we're not gonna bring on a guest and we're not gonna just do a, a traditional solo episode, but you know, part of the beauty of this podcast, you know, I've talked a lot about having an amazing team um, that, you know, we support, you know, not only our Discord uh, each and every single day, and thank you to all those that are hanging out on our Discord. We have our Facebook group, our, our pop-up group, and if you're into the Facebooks, the Facebooks and you don't want to get out of Discord, just search NFT365 over there and you can jump into our Facebook group that we have going on. And our, our team also, we have our email newsletter. Um, on Monday, we uh, co-host an uh, amazing Twitter space with uh, meta-athletes called MetaMind. On Tuesday, this past week, we launched a new show called Superpower Hour. Uh, every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. that I'm actually hosting. Uh, it's just a fun way to be able to have a, a traditional Twitter space without it going to um, you know, a podcast episode. And then Wednesday, uh, we do our town halls in our Discord. Thursday, we have game night in our Discord. And then Friday, we do uh, a pretty cool, uh, if you hold 93 ADHD coin, you don't send me the coin. Remember, this is a hold. If you're holding 93 ADHD coin in your rally wallet, uh, then you get access to a Zoom call that we do uh, each uh, and every Friday. And so the team supports this entire eco, you know, our entire economy that we have, not to mention a website that's updated every day with the, with the episodes of the podcast, not to mention entire YouTube that every single episode here is recorded on, on video and posted up there on YouTube. And so with all of that, all of that feedback, we get lots of questions, we get lots of you know, interaction, and so I thought it'd be fun uh, with me today, someone that you've heard on a couple different episodes, Mr. Drew Cohen, who is the producer and partnership man behind so many of the things that you've seen here on the podcast, as well as the co-founder of Meta Athletes. And so Drew has some of the, the questions, the comments, some of the things that are coming in from our community, and he's going to throw them my way, and I'm going to kind of share my take. And he, of course, will add context into it as well as a founder in this space, and, and we've been on this journey together. Everyone kind of knows... Uh, the origin story of him and I riding the train down from New York and him being the one that really is the, I like to blame for this crazy chaotic thing that is a daily podcast. But uh, Mr. Drew Cohen, thanks for joining my friend. No, this is awesome. Being able to do these uh, IRL events and, and to be able to record the podcasts uh, with you, is a, it's a cool experience and it just kind of reminded me, we put Kevin Smith on the podcast really early and uh, maybe we should do our own episode our own interview episode coming up soon. But uh, yeah, we, we picked up a couple questions from both uh, social media uh, DMs as well as the Discord. Uh, so we have four questions teed up and then I, I kind of have a special one at the end for you, Fanzo. I love it. You know, I, I like the special ones. I'll, I'll definitely take those. Uh, I have no problem with that whatsoever. So um, with that being said, um, you know, I, I agree on the thing with Kevin too. Uh, for those that remember, we did have that awesome episode uh, with Kevin Smith. Uh, 
for those that aren't familiar with uh, you know Kevin, Kevin is uh, you know currently the third baseman of the Oakland Athletics, uh, which I just think is super cool that he is the artist behind uh, that project and. You know, just an all-around uh, great human, and he's the co-founder with you. And we did a great interview, but yeah, maybe we're gonna we're gonna have to make that happen. And you know, we're we're getting to hang out uh, at VCon uh, this weekend. Uh, you are a V Friends Series One holder. We both happen to hold V Friends Series Two as well as book games as well. So um, let's bring it on. I'm I'm game for the questions. And uh, you know, for those that are here in the community, if you want your questions answered in future episodes. You know, we are rolling out in our, our Discord the ability to use a tool called SpeakPipe, where we can actually use your own voice and come on and ask your questions. We tried it out uh, a couple episodes ago, and it got some great feedback on it, so we're going to include that in some more. But um, yeah, Drew, let's, uh, let's do it. Let's make it happen. Awesome. The first question is coming from a, a social media DM. What are the main differences between Web 2 and Web 3? All right, so what are the main differences between Web 2 and Web 3? Um, well, this is an interesting one because I don't like to think of it as Web 2 versus Web 3, which I think is unfortunate that a lot of people have that conversation as if it's one versus the other. I think there are so many amazing, beautiful things that happen within Web 2. But if we think about what Web 2 really was, was... You know, I remember being in college, and you know, Drew, you are, uh, I always like to pick on you being the younger buck, um, but you were probably in diapers, and I was, uh, you know, sitting, I know you're not that young, but um, I was, I remember thinking about when, you know, Facebook rolled, uh, not Facebook, when MySpace first rolled out, I was like, why would I use MySpace? Like, AOL chat rooms are pretty cool, Yahoo groups are pretty cool, and then I just used the internet for, to read something on a website. And so what Web2 started to really enable was this whole content, social interaction, public conversation, right? And I know like we talk about like, you know, Web1 was read and Web2 was read-write and Web3, I think people have all kinds of different versions on that. But what, what that read-write really means is like the emergence of blogs became a thing, right? Before it was static web pages that were really just marketing and sales and gave us a front door. If you wanted to know the store hours, you went there, but it wasn't even small businesses. It was like store hours for the mall or Macy's or some of those type of locations. But as that kind of emerged, social media really became this idea of platforms were created to facilitate different types of interaction, conversations, and what they referred to as Web2 communities. And I don't want to bash that, right? Because, you know, before you were ever part of a Facebook group, the only chance of you joining what would be considered a community was nothing online. Like there was no, like you might've been in like a four, I remember I was in, it was in a, I was in a roller hockey Yahoo forum. And you would really just post in there, you know, like traditional Reddit. And I would have a question, where's the best place to get roller hockey bearings? And someone would answer it, but that was there was no real public community and conversation. And as Web two emerged, what happened, and really I think this is what where that big difference in Web two Web three extends from, is that all of a sudden this idea of data became extremely valuable. Like no one no one went into Web two and said we're going to take everybody's information and all of their habits online and we're going to sell that. But what had happened was hey. We have traditional um, advertising, which would be your banner ads on Web1 websites. Well, how do we make sure that the banner ads are serving the right audience? Well, let's make sure that what, what is the link someone is clicking on 
And if they're coming in from our email, let's serve them a different ad. And if they're coming in from maybe one of our other paid promos, maybe it's a billboard, let's serve them a different ad. Well, what happened was all of a sudden these social platforms like Facebook, um, even you know, look at early days Pinterest, would said, hey, I know that you have this certain data that you're customizing banner ads for. What if you were able to tap into our data? And Facebook was like, I can tell you people like Dave Matthews band and they like the Pittsburgh Steelers because you remember we, we liked a page and it just popped up on our feed. They're really, those companies, those brands didn't actually have Facebook pages early on. It was just a way for us to, to share the things that we liked. But what that did was they can actually then sell that in the advertising space and say, I can give you better data to customize your web one banner ads. And then the emergence of said, well, wait a second, if this data is now valuable, what if we advertise on those platforms? And all of a sudden the emergence of advertising in your Facebook feed, in your Instagram feed. And really, so that's where web two started to become this, you know, beautiful, um, aspect where social media would pop up and I don't know about anybody else but I never complained that a new social media app came up that because I was like oh it's for free like I mean you, you cost no money when you sign up for Instagram no money to create your LinkedIn account no money to, to launch a Twitter account your snapchat account your TikTok account and really all you had to do is say hey you get my data and for 10 plus years we were leveraging that but we also saw the emergence of trends like the algorithm. And if you want to look at what I look at as one of the big telltales, was the algorithm was never once built to satisfy us as the consumer. It was, it was blanketly sold to us as, we want to make sure that you get the, the, the people that you're with engaging the most. But really what they wanted to find out was, if we can really hone in advertising and understand what type of person, right? This person that put in there that they are a mom and their age and they live in Virginia. If we know that they interact only with other moms on Instagram, we can now sell this ad data and say, I can get you in front of moms that interact with moms. And that's where the algorithm all of a sudden became this giant animal. And we became, sub, we, we, we became servants of the algorithm that really nobody liked. And as this kind of grew, all of a sudden we realized the platforms that we felt like, hey, just follow me on Facebook. If you're my Facebook friend, you're gonna see everything that goes on in my life. That's what it was early on. Well, all of a sudden as that grew and Facebook pages became out there and advertising, now you see 15% of that. And we also started to realize that thing that they're now reselling, right? We can talk about, you know, uh, the, you know, the couple of the big scandals that happened around uh, data sharing and data privacy. All of a sudden we realized, wow, this can be used for good and for evil and for advertising, right? All of a sudden we realized that political arms and, you know, I think one of the greatest political campaigns in the history of presidency was Barack Obama that said, I'm going to lean in and understand this digital consumer better than anyone ever had. And if you think about it, he got to really hone in his message based on amazing social data and analytics. Well, what, what of course gets leveraged for, you know, you can, so you can say he was, I believe, that first campaign, and I've actually become friends with somebody who was on that original campaign on their social media team. It was really this idea of like, let's do town halls and interact with this digital audience. Well, when that became such a success, there was also people that were like, wait a second, I can now blitz 
that audience with only my messaging and only my advertising. I can create Facebook pages that I can also advertise the same message coming from different voices and now they start to all of a sudden believe all these things, right? We started really becoming servants of these platforms. And I believe where blockchain was there to facilitate some cool things, all of a sudden we are like, wait a second, how do we take back control from the platforms? How do we as creators, like I remember being presented um, the ability to uh, monetize my live videos. And I was like, man, this is cool. Like someone's tipping me $10. And I remember why I remember this Facebook Live. I think I got talk, tipped $65. And when Facebook sent me the thing to cash out, it was $12 and some cents. And I was like, wait a second, my friends just tipped me 65 bucks. But Facebook took their cut. And the weird part of that is, weren't we getting this platform for free and paying with our data? But now not only were we paying with our data, but they're taking a cut of our ability to monetize, our ability to go direct to our audience. And I believe when the, as the blockchain emerged as this ability to add digital ownership, but add authority that was authority and authenticity that could be verified online, the question became how can blockchain fit into this world? And the emergence of Web3 really became into how do we remove the data and control from the platforms and give it back to us as the users? And we could say like, maybe the movement would have been everyone needs to turn off Instagram. Like if we all stop posting on Instagram, every person in the world stop posting for Instagram for a month, all of a sudden we would pretty much take back control because Instagram wouldn't exist. But we, we know that's not really possible, not really feasible. And so the, the, the Web3 emergence became, how can we now read, write, as well as expand and control and to take back that ownership? And so part of it is digital ownership on the blockchain. Part of it is removing the need to even have currency based on our location, right? Like if someone was watching my live video in Australia, they couldn't tip me. They, had, they would have to figure out how to tip me in USD. And most of the platforms didn't even enable that, right? So they, I couldn't have a lot of my fan base that was international provide me value. Well, cryptocurrency removes that, that you know, layer and cryptocurrency of course is built onto the blockchain. And I would say the last part of like the big differences between Web 2 and Web 3 is this idea of ownership, right? We don't own our social media accounts. If you go to any marketing presentation today, we hear things all the time where they say, don't build on rented land. What they mean is like Facebook could shut down your page tomorrow. What they mean is like your website is technically in, in controlled by your domain provider, right? If your domain provider, if all of a sudden GoDaddy or Bluehost or uh, HostGator, all of a sudden they went under, or they were, all of a sudden they were bought and they said, you know what? We're not gonna let any public speakers have websites on our platform and they just, they, they turned off my website, they could. So technically we were all of a sudden like, well, what does it mean to own something? And most marketers said the only thing you ever really own is your email list which I always argued a little bit on that too, because I'm like, I might own my email list, but I don't own Gmail, and Gmail is a lot of people's email list. So if all of a sudden Gmail stopped allowing mass emails, I wouldn't own that either. And so now we move into this world where we are now, and this idea of digital ownership exists, where we can give and we can, we can actually monitor and control our information and our data. Therefore, every time we're gonna sign in, every time we're gonna do anything, rather than it being blanketly assumed that our data is theirs, 
we now, it's more of like an opt-in versus traditionally we've had to opt out. And so that's an extremely long-winded uh, answer and a TED talk on Web 2 and Web 3 differences. I just want to remind everybody that was just the first question. And I think we all know why each episode lasts 30 to 45 minutes, even if planned out for 15. Um, there's so many good nuggets in there. And I think uh, tying in the algorithm um, and platforms building in a way that forces creators to output a lot more content out there. Um, I think it's, it's such a good tie into data and, um, you know, what really spoke to me was the evolution. And I think a lot of people right now, like you said, are comparing it as an or, and it's really an evolution of one, two, and three um, with the ability, and the way that I see it, it's kind of like your ability to go like direct to consumer, direct to community. I think direct to community is kind of the feel right now, but um, no, so many great points. And um, yeah, it actually, there's the second question actually tied into that. So I'm gonna skip over to another one. Um, the next question is, I want to create generational wealth for myself and my family. What are my options in NFTs? Wow. All right. I mean, that's a that's a heavy question on uh, generational wealth um, development, right? So I think um, I think the beauty of this, like the the conversation being uh, around ownership, in the sense of you know we own you know our data, we own our information. The other beauty of this. Um, ownership equation and the whole ownership um, path is really this idea of do we have to create everything ourselves or can we own things to kind of um, invest in the future and what I mean by that is you know yesterday or two days ago we bought um, Eric and Kim's uh, digital artwork right and the idea that I own those digital pieces and we also know that like you know you know, art as a whole has been a pretty amazing um, investment vehicle for a lot of people in creating kind of generational wealth and long-term, um, you know, sustainable wealth that over time it increases in value. Uh, of course, land as well, right? Buying a house, like owning a house. I remember my dad kind of instilling that, like he owned his house because it would occur in value. Um, and also it was something that he knew that if it, you know, we continue to hold this prime real estate, that when he did sell it, it was something that would you know, gain over time. And so I think with NFTs, part of it can be, you can use it as investment, right? And there are, you know, when we think about, when I think about investment, um, I, within this Web3 space, I, I do think of things like Bitcoin, right? Like I do believe that Bitcoin will stand the test of time. Do I believe that it will eventually replace the, and, and cause the US dollar to be debunked, I, I'm not gonna go that far as an extremist. But I do believe because there is a finite amount and that I, you know, over the next many years, Bitcoin will, there'll be no more Bitcoin out there, but Bitcoin will be a currency that will be leveraged. Something like Bitcoin could be something that, you know, buy it now and hold on to it for five years, could definitely be seen as something that you're investing in kind of generational wealth conversation. But then I think of it also in the sense of what if you were building something now or you were seeing someone build something and you wanted to get it in on the ground floor? And this can go in on many different ways. Let's say you were, like most people know Tony Robbins. Uh, if you don't know Tony Robbins, that would actually kind of surprise me, right? Even that's, uh, that's uh, I will say someone that, let's say Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> right? So Oprah Winfrey, when she started in local Chicago TV, um, she had a local TV show. And imagine if that by attending her local TV show, you were able to pay an extra amount 
to get like one seat a year at the Oprah Winfrey recording as an NFT. And that was something that would, it was her like, you know, rewarding her loyal fans that were there early on. Imagine what that would be worth as being the person that was investing in, on, on this journey early with Oprah Winfrey. And as she went to her, her next piece, like, so there's part of this of like investing in people early and being able to grow with them. I, I've used the example of, of Dave Matthews Band a lot, right? Like I bought a Dave Matthews Band warehouse pass in 2005. My membership says 2005 next to it. And for me, it was because I just loved the band and I got early access to tickets. But as the band grew, I should have, like, I should have grown with them, right? But that wasn't, that was Web 2 methodologies. Web 3, the beauty of this Web 3 space and where this whole conversation kind of goes, which I think is super exciting, is that we are moving towards an area where Web 2 enables, or Web 3 enables us to really have this, like, amazing power to grow with, you know, support our fans, uh, monetize with our fans, amplify with those fans, and then even extend that even further. And I think that to me is one of the, the most exciting aspects uh, of making this whole thing kind of go beyond um, where it's at at the moment. So to me, that was where, you know, generational wealth. And then also like thinking about it from the standpoint of like, what can you create today that's small that eventually you can look back on, right? Like every person that has ever done anything great, they will say, they'll look back and say, man, I wish I documented that. I wish uh, I had the, my very first time I did this. But what if you were able to put that on the blockchain? Even if your goal is not to sell it today, but your goal is to validate something you believe could be one day important. Like I, I mean, my family owned a frozen yogurt shop. And like for me, what would have been really cool was for us to like, we had, we had the very first dollar of our frozen yogurt shop, when we, our very first person that purchased it. We, my dad, I didn't, maybe this is a thing, I, didn't, I don't know if it, would, if it was or not, but my dad said, oh, you're our very first customer on day one, and this was back when I was 13 years old. They, you had to pay for one dollar, anything you want from our store, from because you're the first customer. And we took that dollar bill, we, 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 my dad laminated it and put it behind our head. But imagine if like something like an Amazon store or a store had their very first dollar that was put onto the blockchain. Because like maybe I, I would still have that dollar today, but there's no way to validate that this was the dollar from that day to proof of it. Like I could take, like, take a picture of that dollar, put it on the blockchain on that day, and it would have the serial numbers matched. And it would say on this day from this location, Brian Fanzo minted this onto the blockchain. And if all of a sudden that became the next Dairy Queen in the, in the scheme of, of places, think about the value of that and, and like the, the connection and even, and even the validation of that. And I think that to me is something um, that is super exciting. I love it. Those are, those are all great kind of use cases and examples. And uh, this next question is one that we haven't really gotten ever before. And so I'm, I'm kind of excited to share. Um, this one comes from another DM. It says, my son plays a ton of Fortnite. Is it ethical for my son to start playing crypto earning games? And will Fortnite start using limited NFTs for in-game buyables? Ooh, you know, the, the limiting of, you know, cause like, I think this is such an interesting place because, you know, for those that aren't familiar kind of with the traditional gaming um, environment, um, you know, a lot of what is, and I couldn't even tell you when it really emerged. I think it might've emerged um, in the early 2000, late 2000s where, 
rather than like you having to, you know, it was kind of two cases, right? You could build, you could buy skins or modifications for your player by buying, using money, traditional US dollars, or you could, you could play in the game to earn like internal game type tokens that you could buy those skins or earn that up inside of the game. Well, what it kind of emerged from that was those things became very popular when you were multi-playing on the internet because you wanted, like for me, I want to buy the skin that is the backwards hat skin for my, um, you know, my gaming uh, player that I'm playing online with. The problem with that is if I wanted to no longer play that game, there's no way for me to actually transact that, to sell that to someone else, or even for me to take it outside of that game and, and play where it's somewhere else. So in a way, that has led to a lot of people rethinking the gaming system and saying, what if our, our gaming world was really had a marketplace? So I think that's where a lot of games are today. They, they've kind of stepped up into this marketplace to where, okay, if you are playing this game and you've bought these things and you no longer want to use them, we're gonna give you a place that'll allow you to resell it or post it or, or give it away. That was kind of like step one. But then we started to see kind of like this emergence of like, what would it mean to actually be able to take your things in and out of them, right? And so uh, you might look at like a game like Roblox, right? My daughters are, are big Roblox players um, and they're younger, right? Much younger. But like I gave my daughter a $25 gift card for Roblox and I remember her being like, well, why do I have a $25 gift card? But she's like, Daddy, I'm playing for free. And I was like, well, aren't there certain games that require some you know, money to play? And she was like, yes. And I was like, what about other games, like your favorite game? What if you wanted the yellow Barbie car, not the pink one? And she's like, oh yeah, it costs four tokens. And I'd be like, well, how much are those four tokens? And of course it'd be a US dollar amount equivalent to that. Well, now we look at this NFT space and the play to earn space. You know, I think it's pretty awesome that the esports world has emerged to create an entire um, industry around professional um, gaming because it's really no different than traditional sports where it's an entertainment value, right? Like, why are people paid so much in the NFL? Um, it's not like what they're doing is like solving, you know, curing cancer. It's an entertainment value. And, and esports has that as well. And so where we're at now and like the play to earn conversation is people can actually win tokens or gain crypto by simply playing online. Now, I will not only say do your own damn research, but I will say I don't really give out a lot of uh, parenting advice. I, I, I've, I've learned long ago, as parents, we have to find our own little path. But what I will say, I'm gonna put this in the context as Brian Fanzo, the dad. With, with my daughters on, the, on Roblox, there are things that I had to put in there for constraints. Like I do not allow public chat to exist. I do not want strangers uh, messaging, you know, to my 12 year old daughter or the DMs, right? But then I also know there's certain games that like for, me, for her to get the most value out of it, she has to have some of these things, these features enabled. And then the conversation comes into like public play versus private play and like what are the, the interactions there? And so I would, you know, for me having oversight in these things are important. So like, you know, even uh, custodial management of a wallet, right? Like my daughters, I created um, wallets for them on, on MetaMask that I connected to their ledger. So they each have their ledger. Um, currently there's only one NFT in each one of them. Uh, funny enough, it's the it's expansion punk uh, because that was the one I let them pick whatever expansion punk they, they liked and they each picked one and they put it into their wallet. Um, and I have, the, I have the seed phrase for that. But I also know that 
uh, at one point I will turn over that seed phrase to them. Uh, I'll probably keep a copy of it in my safety deposit box so that they don't lose it. Um, but I, I, I think there is something here. And I will tell anyone that might be like frowning or like shunning on this. Like my middle daughter, of course, ADHD and dyslexia like myself. What she does in that game for learning and creativity and exposure to information blows my mind. My daughter is able to learn things about culture and like I remember she was talking to me about, it, was, it wasn't too long ago, she was talking to me about Paul Revere. And I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I learned that in high school or middle school, but my daughter is not even in middle school yet. I'm like, where did you learn about Paul Revere? And she was like, well, daddy, one of the games made us answer questions after we, before we could get to the next level, we had to learn these different things that would unlock these different lands. And one of them was a Paul Revere thing that we had to learn questions at the end. And her knowledge of Paul Revere, I believe, was more in depth than mine in that sense, right? And, and that was because uh, it was integrated into something that she found as fun and it was learning. And when I went and looked at the game, it was actually one of the games, shout out to her mom. You know, we, we are separated, but her mom is, a, is an a, a amazing uh, co-parent and I'm very blessed to, you know, my daughters have a great mom um, in their lives. Um, her mom, you know, their mom kind of put them into that game because of the, the learning components in there, but didn't tell them, hey, this is your educational game. They're like, this is one of the games that are enabled for you. So I believe we're gonna see more of that in the crypto space as well. I also believe we're gonna, we're gonna see a lot of games that emerge that if we know that there are kids under the age of 18, maybe what they're earning goes into a repository. It doesn't mean that the parents have it, right? Because there's, uh, I, I watched a TikTok recently from Nick Carter. Uh, anyone knows Nick Carter, right? Nick Carter's uh, parents stole $18 million from his trust. Um, that was the money that he was making along the way, which still to me blows my mind that he never got any of the money as a child actor that he was entitled to because when he turned 18, he actually technically wasn't right for that. But um, for me, there is some, there's ways that we can think about this from a, um, maybe it's a, it's a multi-sig type wallet, or maybe we're gonna see parameters that say, on this date, this wallet is unlocked for this seed phrase that you give to your child. Your child now has it, they have full control of it. You as a parent are not controlling it, but you have are able to put some parameters on there to limit it so it's not exposing them when they're too young to do what they're, what they're doing. But that's where I would kind of think about that. I have thought a lot about when my wallet, my daughters play in that arena. Um, I'm more of a fan, I, I don't believe in like massive privacy limitations. I'm a big fan of, enabling them to experience life, but put things in there that allow me to be aware of what's going on. Like I've shared this before many, many times on stages, but like my, like my daughters, like I, I'm a very public person, but I will tell you, like I know that if there, if, if there is a, a lockdown at their school, I have a couple apps that I have enabled that will give me a push notification on my phone if their school or their local area has like a, a shooter warning or a bot, like, so like for me, part of what I decided was I was going to monitor our public persona, not prevent them from living a life that kind of is enabled through all of that. But man, I tell you what, we have a generational question and a, and a question there into, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, into the gaming side. These are I mean, great questions. Thank you. I love the community and where we're going with all this. Absolutely. It's always good to hear the dad come out in Fanzo and, and hear some experiences and, and perspective. Um, I agree with you. You don't want to get into that mode of telling people how to parent their, their children. And uh, there's a ton of ton of opportunities that come for me 
just from coaching youth ice hockey. And so I definitely understand that feeling. And you kind of, you know, for me, it's always been tough because I don't have kids. And so I can never really put myself in their shoes completely. But, um, but yeah, no, I think that's great advice. And I love that you shared what you would do in, in that position. Um, so we have two more questions. Uh, the last one from the community is, some of my friends are not seeing the value in NFTs. How can I convince them into NFTs? Ooh. Um, yeah, this is an interesting one because I'm first going to just say like the idea of convincing anyone to do anything right now is a difficult um, persona. Like if I was trying to convince my friends, like actually if I was trying to convince Drew Cohen to become a Pittsburgh Penguin fan, like good freaking luck, right? We both are diehard hockey fans, but he happens to live in an area that roots for the enemy. Um, the, the you know the the Washington Capitals are our Northern Virginia area. So everyone that you know Drew was mentioning as a coach, like every probably every one of the kids on his team are Ovechkin fans and say Sidney Crosby sucks, and I'm a Pittsburgh Penguin fan. And me trying to convince him that being a Pittsburgh fan uh, is better, I think is just a losing battle. And I think in sometimes that's kind of the battles we take on, and then we kind of get distraught. And so what I like to say is, rather than trying to convince someone to get into something that they don't understand and they don't believe in, rather give them some of the access and experiences to see what you have going on. So for example, I told Drew that I love the Playboy Rabbitars, and I believe there was a great community that we should be a part of. And, and this is, you know, we're in NFTs together, and he was like, ah, you know, I'm not sure it's a brand one. And I was like, well, so we were in New York City and I got the pop-up that said, hey, Rabbitars, you can come to a Playboy party tonight and feel free to bring one plus one. And I looked at Drew across the eyes, batted my, across the table, batted my eyes at him and said, Drew, do you want to go to a Playboy party? And of course that wasn't a hard convince, but I wasn't convincing him to buy a Playboy Rabbitar. You see the difference there? I said, why don't you join me at this event? And we got to go in the event, the velvet rope. We went to the door. They asked us to verify that we had a Playboy Rabbitar. We went in and had this great experience. And at the end, I was like, dude, how epic was this? We checked it off the bucket list. And he's like, man, that was fucking awesome. Anyway, we had a great time. And I was like, and how cool is it that an NFT allowed me to do that? And it was by holding the Rabbitar. And all of a sudden, Drew was like, huh, I think I'm going to have to get me a Rabbitar. And so for those that are thinking about this outside, I think one of the ways is bring them in there with you, right? Like if you get access to a, one of the utilities is a Zoom call, right? Like let them, hey, come sit in the Zoom call with me. I want you to see who the people are that are a part of this. If maybe the access is you get something like cool, you get to choose like merchandise, show them like, hey, because I'm in this group, I get access to this merchandise. How cool is it to get to customize that, right? I think it's, because like rather than convincing someone to do something that they don't want to do, because let's face it, I mean, think about yourself. When someone tells you, you should do something, I know for me, I'm like, nope. Like I, my first gut reaction is no. And anytime that's the case, especially in something that has bad, I wouldn't even say bad, it has misrepresented media. Because right now for most people, they either know of NFTs because they heard of people getting rich with bored apes or, or they heard about a celebrity that has a crypto punk or one of the big ones. Or they heard about it because someone got scammed or because it's like a layer of crypto and they think of it as like this wild, wild west or someone made money overnight. Like their, their friend down the street that was this kid that nobody, nobody knew all of a sudden him and his two friends launched this project you know, that all of a sudden made them you know, $1.9 million overnight. Like that's their exposure to NFTs. 
And so a lot of people, when you're telling them come into NFTs, they have a feeling of, it's not for me, I'm too late, it's not really my playground. And so because that's that barrier, I actually think we have to just take a different route on it. The other thing is that I think that we have to be a better job on is it's not just talking about the art that we own, right? The reason that people are like, you could just you know screenshot or right click the JPEG is because most of the time, the only thing they see is the JPEG. Like go look on your Instagram feed. When you talk about your NFT, you probably say, hey, I have a VFriends NFT. It's Gary Vaynerchuk's NFT. Isn't it cool that I have uh, a, an empathy elephant? What do you think your friends see there? It's like, wow, that my friend who I thought was like pretty good and smart with their money is bragging about having a cartoon elephant that was drawn by some marketing guy that they know and that they're proud about it because they think it's gonna go up in price. It sounds like kind of like monopoly money meets you know, MLM schemes, like Ponzi scheme. But if you, rather than that posting that, say, hey, this is the empathy elephant that I got. It represents this in Gary's methodology. And because I'm holding this, I'm able to get five free passes to three events that are going to give me access to people and information and, and concerts. I'm gonna to get to go to a TLC concert. I'm gonna to get to go to a Steve Aoki concert, all because I hold this NFT and I have access to others that hold this NFT that care about a lot of the same things that I do. Imagine if your Instagram posts said that as well. Like we can blame the media for being bad you know, marketers and, and communication vehicles for NFTs, but I think we are pretty bad at it, especially outside of Twitter and Discord. Like if we're gonna post about the NFTs outside of these spaces, let's stop talking about the NFT. Start talking about the utility, the value, the reason you believe in it. And in some cases, don't call it an NFT. Because what's gonna happen is someone's like, man, I saw what you got because you have that. Like, where do I buy that membership pass? Oh, it's an NFT. What? It's an NFT. I thought NFTs were like crypto people, but you're telling me that NFT does this, this, and this at you. Like, it's a completely different conversation. So I love that question. I will tell you, uh, I gotta give a shout out to Lindsay Foltz. I gotta give a shout out to uh, another good friend of mine, Chelsea Ray. Um, I looked at them as two people I wanted to see in this space, but I also looked at them and them, them being like, Brian's playing again in early adoption and he's doing his thing. So I slowly would just say, hey, Lindsay, I, I did this with this because I had this. And eventually she's like, Fanzo, I'm gonna be in town, meet me at Buffalo Wild Wings, help me get this damn MetaMask, and I'm gonna get up my first couple NFTs. One of them will be a Fame Ladies, one of them will be an Alpha Girl. And then all of a sudden she saw the light. And I will just say a big shout out to Lindsay. She recently became the head of partnerships at that one of those NFTs that I helped her get, which is Alpha Girl Club. And that to me is like the more of the story. I didn't try to knock her down with it, convince her about it. I just would say, hey, I'm doing this because an NFT let me have it. Isn't that cool? And eventually her, she heard enough and was like, all right, Fanzo, let me in. I want some of that same things that you're getting out of this. And so, um, yeah, another great question and I hope that answers it. No, I love that. I think um, leading with experience and utility, I think is always a good, uh, it's a good way to introduce somebody into the value of NFTs. And what comes to mind is, you know, like you spoke on Steve Aoki and um, having these in real life experiences, or maybe it's access to athlete, maybe it's access to um, a certain community, a mastermind. Um, one of the strongest use cases I've seen recently to get people really interested in NFTs is just to, to show them transactions of what you've sold NFTs for 
and what that equates to in USD. I think that quickly shows people how real this is and how you know it, it can be. I mean, people still think of this as kind of like funny money. And so I think when they see a transaction or a sale and they see that conversion to USD instantly, um, it, it makes it very real for people. And I think that financial aspect is definitely a motivator in the space. Um, all right, fans, I got, a, I got one last question coming from me and there's a spin on this. In less than one minute, which I highly doubt you're going to be able to do. Oh, man. Okay. In, in less than one minute, what is the best advice that you have to offer to somebody that wants to lean in to be a thought leader in Web3? Um, kind of spanning from your experience being a, both a speaker and a podcast host. Um, that is the question, and the timer starts right about now. All right. Under one minute. So I think, and I love this, right? Because it's not about, I actually like the word influencer. I have no problem with the word thought leader. But being a thought leader requires you to have an opinion. Let me just start there. Being a thought leader does not mean you just copycat what other people are saying. You must have a strong opinion. How do you have a strong opinion on something new? You first have to immerse yourself as a collector, as a consumer, as a learner. I would, and I would not just listen to one podcast. I would listen to 10 podcasts on the topic. Because here's the other part of being a thought leader. You have to know what you stand for, but understand why people stand for other things, right? So I listen myself, I listen to a lot of other podcasts to understand how are they presenting information? How are they putting things out there? The other thing I would do is to, to be that thought leader is you want to find people in the space already that are either already doing what you believe in or they're aligned in part of your mission and you need to amplify them and celebrate them and put them out there. Because guess what I believe as a thought leader you have to think about? 10 seconds. Is that you wanna make sure that other people, it's not you with this one strong opinion, but the strong opinion is something you're already seeing across the place. And so for me, it's about that idea of have a strong opinion, be a listen, listener, a consumer, and amplify those that are aligned, and then press the damn button and put your story out there. There it is. You did go over a minute, but that was awesome. I love having that spin on it and kind of hearing you. Uh, it's kind of like an athlete trying to score that goal in the last minute. It was awesome. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, um, and yeah, make sure you, you follow Drutility uh, over there on the Twitter. I'll put, uh, we'll make sure I put his uh, info here in the, in the socials. Um, you know, Drew, I love the questions. I also love that you could kind of present them in a way for me. Um, I mean, you, you're integrating the podcast, um, you know, in many different ways, but you also, as a founder, um, as a collector, you know, you and I, you know, for those that don't understand our relationship, a lot of what, you know, I didn't really share this. I, I, and you know what's crazy? I don't think I've done an episode on this yet. Man, this is crazy. I think one of the keys to being successful in this space is finding people to bring into your circle that can keep you accountable. And I'm not talking about the podcast, I'm actually talking about being an NFL, NFT collector. They can keep you accountable, they can bring you information, you can throw things off of each other, you can also commiserate when you buy into a project, <clears throat> We, Drew and I have done that a couple times, um, where we both like kind of jumped in and, and now we're like, uh, could you sell yours? Nope, I can't sell mine either. And at least I don't feel alone. And so I guess that's where I'll put this, you know, kind of wrap this episode is Drew is that person to me. We are very lucky. There's a there's a group that we've kind of created within our, our friend group. And and some of them are, are conversations Drew and I have with others in there. Some I have without Drew, right? Some of them are, are, are like kind of groups. And people refer to some of them as like alpha groups. I don't even think of it as alpha groups. I think of it as those that are on this journey with us that can, you know, like maybe, maybe that person doesn't have the same 
um, amount of money to invest in this space, but they can see when you say, man, you know what? I was gonna mint that today, but I, I bought, it was minting for 0.07, and secondary, it sold out, and secondary is at 0.2 ETH. If you have someone that you can just say that to, and they can be like, man, it doubled that quickly? Like, oh, that sucks. Like, what's the next one you're gonna get into? That little bit of just having those people, it's valuable. And if you if you currently don't have those people or you can't find those people, this isn't like, a, that wasn't like a setup for our Discord, but it is the truth. Our Discord isn't really about us as the leaders. It's about, there are people, everyone that's in our Discord is listening to this podcast for the most part. And they are on the same journey as you. Some of them are coming in and saying, Brian, I started on episode 180 and I have no idea how I will ever catch up because that means I have to go back and listen to all these. Some of them are like, hey, I've been there since episode one, but I've never bought an NFT. I don't even, I don't even have a wallet. But though, it's about connecting with those like, like-minded like people where they're on the similar journey as you. And then you can share, you can go to a DM, you can then start, maybe it's a, an iMessage, a group iMessage with two or three other people. And so uh, I love the questions. I love that you know, Drew is on the journey with me as well on this. And I also love that we are at an IRL event that we are gonna go check out the friends, go hang out with some of the meetups and, and some of the things that are going on here and uh, make it all happen. So um, from myself, from Drew, uh, as we like always like to uh, send us out on, uh, make it a great day, my friends. Cheers. This show is not financial advice, so do your own